Okay, this morning we'll be reading from the book of John, and this is in chapter 2, starting in verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and turned their ta- overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God. Thank you, Adam. Got to bring my water bottle up. Uh, Been busy and craziness of life. Those a little dry today. It's Mother's Day. And here at Memorial, we love to celebrate mothers. It's a complex holiday, I'll be honest, for me. Because we together celebrate the great mothers that have guided us and, and... knowing who Christ is and our worship. Not all of us have had that growing up. My mom was not a Christian growing up. Actually, my senior year, outside the Casey's gas pump in a small town called Melcher, Dallas, Iowa, we sat for two hours and had this amazing conversation. She gave her life to Christ, which was amazing. But she was never a spiritual leader for me. And so, you know, that's a little different. Some of us, we are... We also are mourning and remembering mothers that have passed away, and that is tough, and that's difficult. So as a church together as a body, we also come together and we, we mourn together as well. So I want to encourage you thinking about the Mother's Day and celebrating what God has blessed us with mothers, but also if you know somebody who just has lost, you know, reach out to them and see. You know, this, this week is always hard for me because I start thinking about my mom and her health problems and the struggles we had. And so it becomes a little difficult. And I was thinking about this passage, this challenge that Jesus is getting. And I remember something my mom told me a few times. You see, overall, I like to think that I was a pretty good kid. As a teenager, I was thick-skulled, bull-headed, and I knew what I wanted, and I would say it. Um, but overall, I didn't get in a lot of trouble. But there's times I would step across the boundary. I would say something or do something that was beyond the authority that I should have. And there's a few times mom questioned me and goes, who do you think you are? Because that's not you. And in a way, that's what we're going to get into. That's what happens in this passage is the Jews look at Jesus and go, who do you think you are? What sign are you going to give? I do want to step back a little bit because John is doing something a little weird. How many of you remember that we went through the, the cleansing of the temple last year as a church chronologically? Matthew, Mark, and Luke puts this story, this cleansing of the temple, right before Jesus is betrayed, 
handed over and is crucified. But here John has it right after the wedding of Cana. There's this wedding feast, this celebration. He does it for a sign. He hangs out a while and the Passover is at hand and he cleanses the temple. Well, we have two options. We have option A is that the biblical writers are not bound by writing stories in a chronological way. They might take a story that happens later and move it because they're trying to make a point. And that's acceptable because in that time period, where they're not bound by the Western telestory ABC, they can move stuff around because they're telling a theological story and want you to understand something. Option two is Jesus did it twice, once at the beginning of his ministry and once at the end of his ministry. And I like to think of it this way. If he did it at the beginning, threw these tables around and drove people out, how long do you think it would have took for them to set it all back up and go on a merry way? Talking with David, you know, we're both, I'll be honest, we're both 50-50. Maybe he did it twice. Maybe he did it once. He leans that he did it once and John moved it. And I lean he did it twice and that's why we we see it here. Now here's the thing. It doesn't matter if he did it once or twice. That's something we can have fun and debate and discuss. But there's a reason that either John moved it here or John included this cleansing and not the second. You see, the book of John opens up that Jesus became flesh. And the next three chapters, John is doing something artistically. He's doing something to prove a point. He's expounding on chapter one, but he's also giving these comparisons. So the wedding feast, he had wine. That wine that at the wedding feast overall was good, right? But what happens? Jesus makes water into wine and it was the best. There's something better. Soon we're going to be talking about Nicodemus. And Jesus tells him you must be born again. You're born of flesh. You must be born of spirit. Something better. Soon we'll be talking about the woman at the well. We worship this mountain. The Jews worship over there. And Jesus says there's a time coming that's better when you're going to worship in spirit and truth. So what John is doing here is he's doing comparisons that we might believe and understand that there is something greater coming. So it doesn't matter if he did it once, did it twice. This is what John's doing here. So let us pray. And we're going to look a little bit deeper on what Jesus is doing with the cleansing of the temple and what he tells the Jews as to what he's going to do. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we praise you that you sent your Son to pay the price for our sins, that we may worship you because he opened up the veil to the holies and holies for us. We pray your Holy Spirit would come and fill us and to guide my words, guide our hearts, and guide our minds to understand you more deeply and to believe in you more truly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the cleansing of the temple because David covered that last week. I would encourage you, if you missed out, 
go check it out online because it was great. So many really goes into a lot of details that I'm just not going to have time to go into today. And if you, I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles. If you don't have one, there'll be one in front of you. That's your gift. Take it home. Read it. So John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and oxen and pulled out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And all those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered it was written, zeal for your house consumes me. You see, you'd have people traveling to Jerusalem to do offerings. And if you would put the uh, temple slide up there, they were doing this, what was called the, the court of the Gentiles. And you can see here on the outside where all these people are. They're kind of small, aren't they? I always forget how big the temple is. It's pretty cool. A memorial would fit just in a small corner of that. It's not, memorial's not that big compared. But in this outside, we have people walking out. That's where the court of the Gentiles was. And that is where you had money changers and people selling sheep and pigeons, which was okay to do, but it was supposed to be done outside the church, outside the temple. But instead, you know, for convenience sake and stuff, they started creeping it in closer and closer to the court of the Gentiles. Now, the court of the Gentiles is supposed to be for those that was not Jews, but wanted to come and worship God. You could see why that might make Jesus angry. You're now distracting and taking advantage of people inside this court. And that's the outside of it. Then you have the inner court. And you have the court of the women and court of the men. You have two separates, so there's separation. Then you have that wall there with a little beautiful archway there. Really not that little. It's pretty big. On the next side, that's where the Levites would be. Because they were God's people set apart. And then behind that, you have the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest once a year could enter. And that's where the veil was to to put the separation between the people and the Holy of Holies. Once a year, the high priest would offer a sacrifice of blood for their own sin and for the atoning of the sin of all of Israel for known and unknown sins. So you have those layers And on the outside, where the outsiders could go and worship, they were doing the money changers. They were doing the selling when it was supposed to be on the outside. Now, this was a pretty acceptable practice. They, over time, moved it in. The high priest, the priest, they all was okay with that. And so Jesus came in and goes, no, this isn't okay. This is my father's house, a house of prayer. And so he drove them out. He drove them out. And when he does this, the Jews challenged him. Now, it could have been the priests. It could have been just everyday people. We don't know. But they challenged him. And they said, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you give us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. How will you raise it in three days? Both speaking about the temple of his body. How many of you have ever remodeled part of your house? Uh, yeah. yeah? Doing it right now? 
when you remodel, you always find issues. It takes a while. Now, here in America, you make a plan, you make your list, you go to your big box store of choice. Might be Menards, might be Home Depot, might be Lowe's. I'm a Menards guy. I'm a sucker for that 11% off. And if you're like me, you go get the materials you need, you assess the situation, you go and you start working on it, and about two hours later, where do you think I'm going? Back to Menards. I forgot something, or I found an issue, and it's like, oh, i got to fix this. It takes a little bit of time, but basically we, we get everything out need, we need, and it goes pretty quickly. Sometimes. <laughs> but see, when they were rebuilding that temple, you know, talking about 46 years building it, it wasn't like they could go to the big box store and, and have these big semis come and bring these stones that's already shaped and just crane them in. No, it was shaping that piece by piece. I'm doing something a little different this round. I'm doing a little remodel of what was my wood shack into a chicken coop. Now, if you ever build a chicken coop, you go to Menards, you buy some two-by-fours and some plywood, you slap it together, and it's, it's a weekend project. I've been on about a month now. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to the big box store and buying my lumber. I have a little chainsaw, I got a little jig on it, and I'm cutting my siding piece by piece by piece. And let me tell you, it takes a lot longer to do that. So when, when, when they're talking, it's taken 46 years, they're probably talking about the rebuilding of the temple. And it would be more accurate to say, it's been 46 years already and we're not even done yet. Because it wasn't until later that they finished it. And not too long after that, it was destroyed again. But they're saying, what do you mean that you're going to destroy this in three days and rise again? Build it back up in three days. It's taken 46 years and we're not even done yet. It takes time to shape every piece. But he's not talking about the physical temple. He's talking about himself. Now it's interesting that the challenge to him is what sign are you going to give? Because I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking about memorial here. What would happen if when we're passing the offering plate, we're doing our sacrificial giving as we're called to do, Somebody walks in and takes the offering plates and throws them across the room and tells us all to get out. What would happen here at Memorial? I don't know about you, but if, it, if I was here at the time, that person would not be in the sanctuary. They would be outside pretty quickly, and they would be arrested. They would be stopped pretty quickly. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that would do that. And so I have to think a little bit. Why didn't the Jews go... What are you doing? This is acceptable practice. And kick him out. And throw him out. Because that would be kind of, to me, a logical thing to do. This is the temple place. You're causing chaos. You're throwing this money all over the place. So if you think about it, you got these tables full of money. You throw it. Do you think the money changers just left? Or do they scurry about trying to gather their money? He's causing chaos. And so they would have rights to throw him out, you would think. But they see that Jesus must have some sort of authority here. And so they ask for a sign. Basically, they're saying, you're acting like a prophet of God. What sign are you going to prove to us that you are? And he responds, I'm going to destroy the temple and raise it in three days. John is writing this because Jesus is not talking about the physical earthly temple. He's talking about his body. 
something great or something beyond. Now, what's the purpose of a temple? Why do we need a temple in the Old Testament? What was the main reason for it? Sacrifices, yes. Coming to God and giving atonement, yes. But there's actually a bigger reason, a deeper reason. You see, God in the Garden of Eden walked openly with Adam and Eve. He dwelled with his people. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were removed from his presence. And if you jump forward to Exodus, when they left Egypt, God told them to put a tabernacle together. Tabernacle is basically a tent. How many of you have ever gone camping? (coughs) A tent is basically your house on the road, right? That's what the tabernacle was. It was God's house on the road for Israel to go about the wilderness until they get to Jerusalem. And God's glory, His Shekinah glory would fill the tabernacle. So you have Jesus first dwelling, or God dwelling with Adam and Eve, then God dwelling with His people in a tent, a house for Him. And then when Solomon came, it was time for a temple to be built, a permanent home for God to dwell with His people. Which is interesting. You look at what the tabernacle has and the temple has, has lampstands, has tables, like it's a house for God, for his dwelling. And so what John is doing here, and the, why he has this story in the beginning of his ministry, the good and the better is that Jesus is the better temple. Because Jesus is not just fully man, he's 100% man, but he also has 100% of God's glory in him, his Shekinah, because Jesus himself is God. And so we see that Jesus would be the one that would die and three days be rose again. It's something better. I think it's interesting. If we actually jump to the end of the story, some of you book readers read this end first. And I find that strange that A, you read books and B, you, you jump to the end. But let's jump to the end a little bit. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 22, it's talking about heaven, about the new heaven and new earth. And it actually says this, And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There's no temple in heaven. Because everything is God's dwelling place. See, when Jesus came, and he's saying, drove the animals out in a way, and, and David kind of alluded to this, He's saying these sacrifices are going to be needed no, are not going to be needed anymore. And he's saying the temple is going to be destroyed and rose in three days. In reality, he's saying, I'm the better temple. That God and Jesus themselves are the temple. And the old temple, the old sacrifice system is not needed anymore. Because something better is here, and that's Jesus himself. Now, what's interesting, I think, is the disciples. You ever wonder what the disciples think? I always want to know what's in their head. Because John makes it very clear that his disciples, in verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember that he said this. They believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. It wasn't until Jesus died and rose again that they believed what Jesus said. And so I kind of wonder if they didn't kind of follow with the Jews a little bit. And this is speculation, 100%. 
But do they, I wonder if some of them goes, you're going to destroy this big temple and raise it in three days? Really? Because they didn't understand he was talking about his body. They were still learning and growing on who God was and who Jesus was. And it wasn't until the end that Jesus died and rose again that they remembered. Now, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring remembrance of what God has done. And so when Jesus died, rose again, they saw this, they remembered, then they believed in what Jesus said and all of God's word. Now, some of you here might be in the church a long time. Might, you might have been drugged here by your mom saying, you know what, it's Mother's Day, so you're going to come. I'm going to make you get here. Have you heard God's story multiple times? But do you believe it? Because the disciples heard it, and it wasn't until later that they believed. Because that's part of sanctification, right? Sanctification is being made more like Christ, growing in your knowledge of who God is. There's times that we hear stories, or we see God's doing something, you're like, I'm not sure. But there's a moment in time that then you believe. And that's what John's pointing out here, is it took him a while. It took him a while to believe. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're struggling with that belief. Because John's writing the entire gospel for the purpose of belief. And not just believe in Jesus, what he's done, but also believing in all of God's word. Because it's all one unified story, as we said over and over last year. So what about the temple today? What does the temple look like today? Well, we know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. He died, he rose again, he spent a little bit of time showing as evidence of who he was, but now he sits at the right hand of the Father. So you have the, God's dwelling force with Adam and Eve in the garden, then a tent, then a temple, then Jesus, and still in Jesus, but now he's at the glory of the right hand of the Father. But what about the temple of, on earth today? What does that look like? Well, if we go and we turn to 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? See, Jesus, when he left, he said, I promise I'm going to send a helper to you. And when you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with God's glory, that his glory might shine out to others around. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying that your body is a temple. Now, when Paul talks about your body, he's often talking about sexual sin and the struggle that the church had with that. Because your body is the temple of God. God dwells with you. You don't defile it. So we, individually, are the temple of God. Because the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. Now, I've heard arguments now a lot, and I've had friends and spiritual leaders that was giants when I was growing up say, I don't like the church. I struggle with it because I disagree. Like David and I, we disagreed about, hey, one cleansing, two cleansing. But they always were fighting with the church and they decided, you know what? I don't need the church anymore. The Holy Spirit's in me. I'm a temple of God. I can go home and do it on my own. I can read my Bible. I can worship. 
And this is somebody who I saw as a spiritual leader growing up, a very specific lady of God. I considered her one of the, in a way, spiritual mothers that I had in my life. And over time, slowly drifted further and further away from God. Because, yes, we are 100% the temple of God when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because there is that greater time period now where we worship in spirit and truth. But we see a clarity given in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19. Oh, I turned that wrong. You know what? I wrote that down wrong. Talking about Jesus being the cornerstone and that the church comes together as one body in unity to be the temple of God. You see, the church building itself is not God's temple. Let's be honest. This building, come and go, it's not the temple of God. God's glory isn't the church itself. It is the people in the church coming together in unity to be his temple. It says, do not neglect meeting with one another as some has done. It's why we, as a church, when we notice somebody's not being here, there's people that reach out and go, hey, are you okay? Is everything all right? What can we be praying about? You notice we don't go and say, hey, you know, Last four Sundays, you were gone too. So you know what? You're, you're being a wretched sinner now. You better get back in church. We don't go in guilt. But we want to go with authentic connection to draw people back. Say, hey, don't neglect the body, the temple. That is us coming together and worshiping. Because we live in a time period that is better. Because the old temple sacrifice is done. We now have Jesus who sacrificed once and for all for each and every one of us. Now some of you might be struggling with that. Maybe you've never heard this before and the first time you heard that Jesus died for your sins. What is sin? Sin is simply not doing what God's called you to do. Missing the mark. But Jesus paid the price that we may have the Holy Spirit dwell with us. That we may worship God in spirit and truth. You see, when Jesus died and was put on the cross and he died, there's something very specifically happened. Can you put that tabernacle back up, the temple back up? Get out of that division in the big building at the very back of it. There was a veil that separated Israel and the Gentiles and each and every one of us from the Holy of Holies, that direct connection with God. That's where the Ark of Covenant was. That's where they would have had the Ten Commandments, all these great things of remembering what God's done. It was separated by a veil. Only the high priest once a year could enter that. And if anybody entered it uh, at the wrong time, God could smite them, could kill them. That's what he said. That's what he promised. So there's separation. And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in half, showing that we now have direct connection to worship God directly without that separation because his blood and sacrifice finished the sacrifice system that pointed towards him so where are you at today do you believe in what John is writing 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the very Messiah, the very chosen one of God, 100% man, 100% God, the very temple of God that was buried and rose in three days? If not, I want to encourage you to come up as we respond in worship, and I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe there's things that God's doing in your life that you're like, you know what? I haven't been believing it. I'm struggling with it. I kind of understand what he's doing, but now it makes sense. Now you believe. And if you want to talk about that and share with that and pray about that, I would love to speak with you about that. Adam would love to speak with that. Talk to your neighbor, the one beside you, because as one body, we are the very temple of God. The sign that Jesus gave was himself. And that should be sufficient for each of us. And I'll be honest, one last note, there's times in my life when I'm like questioning what God's doing, what he's, what he's leading me to do. And I say, God, just give me a sign. Show me something. But he already has. And that's revealed in the word of God. That's why we're important that we open this up and read it. It is his word and his testimony, what Jesus has done. That is the sign for us that we must believe and trust in. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we praise you that Jesus ripped the veil, that Jesus showed us a better temple, he himself. And I know as a body, as individuals and myself, there's times that I have not represented you as the temple, that I've defamed it, that I've struggled. So I pray, Lord, for your forgiveness with that. And pray that your Holy Spirit were convict us and to guide us this week to know you more, know you deeply, and to be more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.